Good morning. I'm Pastor Scott, and I may have a different background than you do. My parents took me to church and to Sunday school every week, and I heard all of the stories of the, the great uh, men and women of the Bible, the stories that are recorded in there from the time that I was old enough to comprehend. Uh, I know, devastating, right? You're probably all thinking, what happened? Now, that may not be your background. You may not have grown up being taken to church and hearing those stories. But I also uh, want to take some time this morning to give you a little bit of the background that you may have missed out on growing up. I also want you to know that if I have not just described your background, one similar to mine, that you can do something about that. Now, obviously, you can't go back in time and faithfully attend Sunday school and have somebody teach you uh, all the things that you've missed. But you can open a Bible, any form, whether it's electronic or paper, and no matter what translation for something like this, I would recommend something that's easy to read, like the New Living Translation that is also very accurate. And start to fill in the gaps that you may uh, become biblically literate. And this also applies to people that may have grown up going to Sunday school but haven't spent much time recently reading the Bible. Today we're going to talk about the aftermath of a huge spiritual victory in the life of the prophet Elijah. And the first question that I want to answer for you is, what is a prophet? Very simply put, a prophet is a person chosen by God to be his spokesperson. Probably a prophet that almost everybody is familiar with is Moses. Now, the next question is, who specifically is this prophet Elijah? Elijah lived in the 9th century B.C. He was a rugged outdoorsman. He wore strange clothes and had a very different appearance. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, that he was described as a hairy man who wore a wide leather belt around his waist. I'm pretty sure he wore more than just a wide leather belt, but that's what it was pointed out in the scripture. We also know that he was able to survive, even to thrive during times of great famine. And we also know that he lived in caves oftentimes as an adult. In regard to his ministry, he emphasized unconditional loyalty to God, both of individuals and of the nation of Israel. Elijah was opposed to the accepted standards of his day and to the people who were in authority who did not serve God. We also know that he performed many miracles. Now, this wasn't because he had some kind of supernatural power. It was because God himself had given him the power in order to do these miracles. And here's an interesting fact. Did you know that Elijah is one of only two people who never died? That's right. Elijah was one. He was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. And the other was Enoch, all the way back in Genesis chapter 5. Now, in the days of Elijah, there lived a very wicked king named King Ahab, and he was married to an even more wicked queen named Jezebel. Ahab was from Israel. Jezebel was not. She came from another country where they worshiped idols made to the false gods of Asherah and Baal. And she convinced her husband to bring nearly a thousand of these false prophets to Israel and to pay for their food and their lodging and their wages out of the taxes that were collected from the children of Israel. 
She wasn't satisfied with that. She wanted more. She wanted all of the true prophets of Jehovah to be killed. And when Elijah heard that, he arranged for a meeting with King Ahab, and they met out in the middle of this field. And when Ahab saw Elijah, he greeted him by saying, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Elijah wasn't taking that. Sitting down, he shot right back and said, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. And then Elijah throws out this challenge. He says, I want you to summon all the people of Israel to come to Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Queen Jezebel. So King Ahab did that. And then Elijah stood in front of them and he said, How much longer will you, talking to the children of Israel, how much longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the response was complete silence. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Now that it wasn't actually true, but it was how he felt. And he continued on, he said, but Baal has 450 prophets. And he said, I want you to bring two bulls for sacrifices. And you can choose whichever one you want. Prepare it for sacrifice. Put wood on the altar. Put the sacrifice on the wood, but don't light it. And then I'll take the one that you didn't choose and I'll prepare it for sacrifice and put wood on the altar and the sacrifice on the wood, and I won't light it either. But then he said, we're going to call on the name of our gods. You call on the name of your false gods to come set fire to the sacrifice. I'll do the same, but I'll call to Jehovah God, and I'll ask him to do the same. And whoever's God answers by setting fire to the wood, he is the true God. And everybody agreed to that. And so Elijah told the prophets of Baal to go first, and they prepared their sacrifice, and they began uh, calling out to the name of Baal from morning until noontime. And they were not just calling out in prayer. They're dancing around wildly and shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. This went on all morning long. Now, I can imagine Elijah just kind of sitting back, leaning against a tree, watching this, maybe even taking a nap while they're going about all this. But then at noontime, he gets up and he starts to mock them. He says, you need to shout louder. Maybe your God is daydreaming. Or maybe he's away on a trip and he can't hear you. Or maybe he's taking a nap. Or, and this one is my favorite, maybe he's relieving himself. And what was their response? They start yelling louder and dancing more wildly. And they take their swords and they begin to cut themselves until blood is flowing from them. And this went on all the way until the time of the evening sacrifice. And then Elijah calls to the people. He says, come on over here to this broken down altar that used to be used to make sacrifices to the true God. And he begins to repair the altar. And then he... uh, He uh, tells them, okay, I want four of you false prophets to take a one-gallon jug, fill it with water, so four gallons of water, and pour it all over this sacrifice and drench the wood. 
And so they did. He did it another time. And then he asked them to do it a third time. So now there's 12 gallons of water that has been poured over this sacrifice, drenching it completely. And it's filled up this trench that had been dug around the altar until it was completely full of water. And then Elijah prayed. He prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that all I have done is at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Not so that Elijah could save face, not so that he could make himself look good, not even to save his own life. And immediately after he prayed that prayer, fire comes down from heaven and consumes that sacrifice. Didn't just cook it, consumed it completely, burned up all of the wood. Get this, burned up all of the stones of the altar and the the dust on the ground around the altar. It licked up all the water in the trench. There's nothing left except maybe a pile of dust. The response of the people was exactly as it should have been. They fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Now, can you imagine being a witness to this? Elijah took these false prophets to school. That could not have been a more one-sided victory. And according to the terms of this standoff, the losers lost more than their reputation. They lost their lives. So that was the end of the false prophets of Baal. Now, you would imagine that Elijah would be on some kind of an emotional high for weeks on end after this. And you might even imagine that such a public schooling of Ahab would have him leave Elijah alone for quite a while. But that's not what happened. As soon as Ahab got back to his castle or wherever it was that he lived, he went whining to Queen Jezebel and told her about all that happened. And she sent this message directly to Elijah. She said, may the gods strike me. Now, that's ironic, right? The gods that were just proven to be phony, may they strike me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you had the prophets of Baal killed. The next thing that we read about is Elijah's so convinced of God's power in his life that he was completely unafraid of Jezebel and didn't feel like he needed to be threatened at all, right? No, that's not at all what happened. Elijah was so afraid that he ran from his life, for his life. He ran from Jezreel to Beersheba. That's a hundred miles. That's four marathons. And then he leaves his servant and his friend in Beersheba, and he goes out into the middle of the wilderness and finds a lone tree and sits down to throw himself a world-class pity party. And then he prayed a prayer that I do not recommend that anybody prays. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down to go to sleep. Now, I'm assuming that he did that because he's so impressed with his own prayers. I remember, remember, he just prayed for God to bring 
fire down from heaven onto this sacrifice, and that's exactly what happened. He's probably assuming any prayer that I pray, God's going to be at my beck and call. And so if I ask him to kill me, I'm going to go to sleep and never wake up again. Well, he wasn't toasted by firebolts from heaven. Instead, God sent an angel to him and woke him up and said, eat. And when he looked, the angel had brought some fresh baked bread. Oh, don't you love that? The smell of it, the taste of it. And he also brought him a jar of cool water. And he ate and he drank and then he goes back to sleep. I don't know, maybe he thought angels are supposed to bring you a last meal before you die. But instead, the angel wakes him up a second time and says, get up and eat some more for the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So get this, two meals prepared by an angel provided enough energy for Elijah to travel another 260 miles to Mount Sinai. We're now talking about 10 marathons. And he went into that cave and he slept all night. Not surprising, right? When Elijah woke up, God spoke to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, this is audience participation time. I want everybody to take out their imaginary violins as we play this sad song for Elijah. As he says, no one else serves you. I am the only one left. Do you hear that? Elijah says he is the only person left on earth who still worships God. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe not literally that you're the only person left, but it can sure feel that way at times, especially compared to how things felt maybe even a decade or two ago, right? It feels like there are so few people who serve God. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you haven't brought your Bible with you this morning, it'll be up on the screen behind me. We're going to start at verse 11 and read down to verse 18. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. This is God speaking to him. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore through the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That's quite a wind, isn't it? But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehoalah, and you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel 
all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Have you ever struggled with feelings of discouragement? Just as God's voice called out to Elijah on this occasion, his voice calls out to us also in our times of discouragement. And from this story, we learn that in our times of discouragement, God's voice calls to us through the Bible to remind us that we are not alone. Oftentimes, when we are discouraged, we feel like we are all alone in those struggles. And at those times, God's voice calls to us, encouraging us to look for his presence. God's presence was made known to Elijah through a gentle whisper, or as the King James Version puts it, a still small voice. God wants us to know that in times of discouragement, he is with us, speaking to us and seeking to encourage us with his love and his presence. In verses 11 and 12, we're told of how a great wind blew over the mountain, followed by an earthquake and then by fire. But the Lord was not in any of those things. Instead, his presence was found in that still, small voice, a gentle whisper. What was God trying to teach Elijah? I think he was telling him that God is always with his followers, even though they may not see an outward sign of his presence. Even though in those times when you may think you are all alone in your feelings of discouragement and that others have forsaken you, God has not and will not abandon you. Now, do you know why animal trainers carry a stool when they go into a cage of lions? Now, I don't even know if they do this anymore, right? So we'll have to think back to our childhood or to a movie that we've seen where there are lion tamers at Barnum and Bailey's Three Ring Circus. So they have their whips, of course, and they have a tranquilizer gun just in case, but they also carry a stool, very similar to this. And they hold the stool by the back because it's their most important tool, and they thrust it towards the lion. And the reason that this works is the lion focuses on all four legs instead of one thing and becomes immobile and unable to do anything. Rather than us getting bogged down in all the things that can take our focus away from God, we need to focus instead on this one thing, seeking the presence of our Lord. And in pursuit of that one thing, we will find peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Like Elijah, we need to turn aside from all the things that are distracting us from God in those times of discouragement. And as we do that, we will be able to sense and be comforted by his presence in our lives. But God also calls us to look to his people. Elijah was told that he was not alone in this struggle. There were 7,000 others who had never bowed down to a false god. 7,000 others who were facing very similar kinds of tests and trials and struggles. And that they were discouraged probably at times just like Elijah was. But they had not turned away from Jehovah God. Likewise, in our times of discouragement, we need to realize we are not alone. Not only is the Lord with us, 
But there are others who oftentimes struggle with life as well, but continue to serve God. And that can bring encouragement to us, right? When we see other people doing the right things. Reminds me of when I was in college and my roommate and I were both business majors at the time. And when I would come back from something and find him studying the same thing that I was supposed to be studying, I was encouraged to get out my textbook as well. And the same thing worked the other way around. We would encourage one another to do the right thing. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We need to find comfort in the fellowship of other Christ followers and to seek to be encouraged by them. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Too often, we withdraw from the fellowship of other Christians when that is the one of the most crucial times to be with God's people. That's something that I've actually become concerned about over the past six months. I hope that we aren't developing habits of not getting together just because it's more convenient to watch a live stream from our homes. When it comes to overcoming discouragement, there is strength in numbers. You are not alone. We can look around this morning, those of us that are here in the the sanctuary, and see other people who are following Christ as well. And I'm encouraged by that. I hope you are too. Seek out the encouragement that can come by engaging with God's people. In times of discouragement, God also reminds us that we still have a purpose. He still has a plan for us. As we respond to God's call, he can lead us from discouragement to being an encouragement. God will restore our walk with him. In his encounter with God, Elijah was repeatedly asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? And why did God ask him that question? I think it's obvious that the reason God asked Elijah, what are you doing here, is because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. That's when God told him, go back the way you came. When we become discouraged, it is often because we are out of step in our walk with God. Instead of allowing him to lead us, we take off on our own, just like Elijah did. Instead of standing firm in the faith, Elijah fled in fear. You know, you cannot be fearful and faithful at the same time. To be fearful is to be faithless, and to be faithful is to be fearless. Whether I am overwhelmed by fear or overcoming by faith depends on who is calling the shots in my life. Now, Elijah had done well in respect to listening to God and following his lead up until we get to chapter 19, verse 3, where all of a sudden, instead of looking to God and responding in faith to him, he's now looking at Jezebel and responding in fear to her. Let me tell you a story that might help you visualize this getting out of step with God. Think of a a college football game, and and the line for the tickets just kind of wraps around the stadium. So many people want to be there. 
And um, there's this long line of people, but somebody arrives late and he starts pushing his way to the front of the line. Well, that doesn't go over very well. And this big burly fan kind of just shoves him back to the end of the line. So he picks himself up and he starts edging his way forward again. Same thing happens again. He gets pushed back. It happens a third time. And as he's picking himself up and dusting himself off, he says, if you don't stop throwing me out of line, nobody's getting in today because I have the key to the ticket booth. We often experience defeat and discouragement because we are out of place in our walk with God, which means that we have removed him from his proper place of being at the front of the line. And when we do that, we keep ourselves from entering into the joy and the victory and the blessing that we seek because God alone has the key to open up the way for us. We need to go back the way that we came and return to a relationship where God leads and we follow. God works in times of discouragement to accomplish his purpose in our work for him. God told Elijah that if he would go back to the place where God was once again calling the shots in his life, he would find that the Lord still had things for him to do. When we become discouraged, sometimes we convince ourselves that there's nothing left for us in God's plan. We don't need to listen to that voice. Without question, Elijah was a heroic and godly man. But let's not forget, he was just a man just a human like you and I. He suffered discouragement, even depression, and on this occasion, he just couldn't shake it. There are other people in the Bible that are described as going through very similar times of discouragement and even depression. Moses once became so discouraged that he asked for God to take his life. Jonah, after that great victory, at the time of revival at Nineveh, did the same thing. And the Apostle Paul despaired even of life at a certain time of his ministry. For years, Elijah had stood strong in the middle of insurmountable odds. And now, after this great victory, he dropped into throes of total despair. Now, maybe the question you're wondering is the same question I was wondering when I was studying this. Why did Elijah fear Jezebel's intimidating threats? Why did he run away from her and hide in the middle of nowhere? I came up with four reasons. The first one is Elijah was not thinking clearly. We're often told when when things come up like this, consider the source, right? He didn't consider the source of the threat. The threat came from an unbelieving, evil person who lived her godless life far from God. This was also a person who served gods who had just been defeated. If Elijah had been thinking clearly and realistically, he would have realized this. And instead of running in fear, this would have led to thoughts like, God's in control here, not Jezebel. I need to trust God just like I always have. The second reason is that Elijah separated himself from strengthening relationships. He left his servant at Beersheba and went alone a day's journey into the wilderness. He should have stayed with his trusted friend or at least told his friend to come with him. 
and he could have been encouraged. But when we get discouraged, we often tend to get alone. It's the worst thing that we can do. The third reason is that Elijah was physically exhausted and emotionally spent. You've probably heard this old saying uh, about archery, that if you always, uh, that you will break the bow if you always keep it bent. In other words, if you're living under constant, relentless stress, you will finally break under the pressure. You have to give yourself some time to rest and to be refreshed. And here's the fourth reason. Elijah got lost in self-pity. Self-pity will lie to you. It will exaggerate your situation. It will cultivate a victim's mentality in your head. Elijah said to God, I want to die because I am no better than my father's. Well, whoever told him that he had to be greater than his ancestors? It certainly wasn't God that said that. Allow God to set the standard for your life. He is always loving. He is always affirming. He is always accepting. He is always faithful to his, to uphold his followers. He made us. He knows what we are capable of. He knows the purpose that he has given us in life. I find it encouraging the way that God dealt with his discouraged servant. First of all, God allied Elijah a time of rest and refreshment. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't blame him. He didn't throw shame on his servant. God flooded Elijah's life instead with grace and with love. Secondly, God communicated wisdom to Elijah. He didn't tell him to snap out of it. He asked him a reflective question. What are you doing here? And when Elijah shot back with, I'm the only person left on earth who continues to serve you. God didn't rebuke him. Instead, God said, get out of this dark cave and go stand in the light. Stand before me and let me encourage you. Forget about Jezebel. Focus on me. Then wind, earthquake, and fire, one right after another. But God wasn't in those. He spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. He didn't just draw Elijah out of a physical dark cave. He drew Elijah out of his dark self-pity. He reminded Elijah that he still had a job to do and that there was still a place for him. And then God set the record straight. He said, Elijah, you aren't the only one left. I have seven others who have 7,000 others who have remained faithful. And then God gave Elijah a close personal friend, Elisha. We all need friends to encourage us, don't we? In those times when we need it the most, they're there for us. Elijah had to get his eyes back on the Lord. He had been used mightily, but it was the Lord who had made him mighty. He stood strong against the enemy, but it was the Lord who had given him the strength. Elijah reminds us to look up. Look up so that the Lord can graciously deliver you from discouragement or depression. Look up and he will give you rest and refreshment following an exhausting schedule that has taken its toll on you. Look up and thank him when he gently and patiently speaks to you from his word. 
when you've been in a pit of self-pity. Look up and praise him when he faithfully provides the companionship and affirmation of a friend who understands and encourages you. Thank you, Lord, for telling us about Elijah. God, you are a good God to us. You understand our frailty. You know what we need. You provide all of that for us. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us, for how you provided encouragement through your word, encouragement through yourself, encouragement through friends, that you don't give up on us, that you don't rebuke us when we are most fragile. Father, your love is just overwhelming. You are so good to us, and we want to give our lives back to you. We want to also give to you of our offerings, of the things that you've already given to us to give a portion back to you so that your work can continue to be done around this city and around the world. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen.